Gagan, and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling enterprise-scale underwriting through a single pane of glass. I really enjoy talking to people who are full of energy, because some of that energy rubs off. Bob Kimmel of K2's Return to the Podcast with K2 Cat's head underwriter David Carson is a case in point. Here we find Bob buzzing with the possibilities that significant new investment from Wahlberg Pincus can afford the firm as it looks to accelerate growth and double in size to a $3 billion GWP platform over the next four to five years. David's also full of energy after the decisive rupture in the reinsurance market at 1-1 has produced what he describes as the best market in property cat since 1993. This is an incredibly candid and fluid discussion. Bob is very open about the potential squeeze that may be coming for MGA and other intermediaries' margins as reinsurers and carriers push back hard on commissions and trim underperforming agencies from their portfolios. But he's also really happy about having fresh dry powder to make the most of cooling valuations and special situations as interest rates rise and debt-heavy buyers are priced out of a hitherto frothy M&A market. Bob also explains why being a hybrid carrier with a balance sheet was great when K2 was smaller and needed to incubate underwriting talent, but became a distraction to the core business as the group scaled to the $1.5 billion of gross premiums it now underwrites on behalf of the market. This is fascinating under-the-hood stuff, and no aspect of the market and K2's plans is left uncovered. It's also delivered at an almost breathless pace, and with great rapport between Bob, David, and this interviewer. If you want to get well ahead of emerging trends in the fast-developing MGA world, this is absolutely essential listening. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome back, Bob, to The Voice of Insurance, and welcome, David, for your first time. Good morning. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, good morning. Thanks a lot, Mark. It was about 18 months ago, and my abiding impression of that meeting we had was that you were a business that was going incredibly fast and growing incredibly fast. So it's pretty important now to have a bit of an update. Bob, tell us where you are now relative to where you were about 18 yeah, months that'd, ago. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you, Mark. I was expecting you to be a lot bigger. I'd say somehow. 18 months ago, I, I don't remember, but I'm guessing we were just under a billion dollars of annual premium. I'm guessing we had 18, 19 programs. And today, we have 24 different programs approaching a billion and a half dollars of annual premium. You know, last year was about a billion four or five. And so we've had a lot of growth over the last 18 months, especially in difficult time of COVID, difficult time of acquisitions. So really just a lot of organic growth and riding the wave of uh, harder rates. Obviously, some of it's going to be new exposure, new lines. And new policies. Yeah. And rate, those two things. And, and so you think about us today at a billion and a half, if we're getting 10% rate throughout all our average programs, you know, that's $150 million of growth right there which uh, took us three or four years just to get to that number back in 2011. And obviously, the other big news that's happened since we last spoke was that you swapped out your backers and you've replaced one for Warburg Pincus. Yeah, we're excited. You know, we started K2 with a very small regional PE firm, uh, moved on to a slightly international mid-sized firm with Lee Equity, and now are trading out to a very large, I think the fifth largest PE firm in the world with Warburg Pincus. For us, really excited about that, excited about the valuation and the growth for our shareholders. But number two, really excited that they have a heavy desire for acquisition, which we didn't really have that luxury with the smaller firm. And so we've got our sites, we've got a bunch of money earmarked to do deals, whether it be new team liftouts and or acquisitions. And so we'll talk about that, what we're doing. We've got uh, people specifically out there hunting. I'd say we looked at opportunities that came to us. Today we are hunting and, and we'll do a lot more of that next year. I think you were very specifically hunting the last time I saw you as well. I think Not as aggressive. 
now we're hunting uh, all kind of game. Yeah, so excited about that. So, I mean, my question was, yes, does this Warburg Pincus deal mean that we should expect you to be accelerating growth from here on organically and inorganically? High level, the answer is yes. K2 took 11 years to get to a billion and a half of premium. Warburg would like to see us at 3 billion within four or five years. So we thought we worked hard. We thought we accomplished amazing things, but uh, we got a long way to go. I think in London, we're seeing an uptick in interest in K2 International as a result of that Warburg Pincus news. You know, that's very exciting. Yeah, we'll get in detail about our pipeline, whether it be here in the UK or our pipeline in the United States, from a team lift out and acquisitions have never been more robust than it is right now. Say about 85% of your business is US right now. Is that about right? Yeah, maybe about 75. 75. 75 and, and that proportion, yeah. when you get to the 3 billion, what's the proportion are you expecting? What are you projecting oh, or sort question. of hoping for? Great question. I, I don't know if we've modeled that out. Uh, more so that we're very active here in the United States. We're meeting with a lot of investment bankers this trip. While we're here, uh, we're meeting a lot of teams that we're interested in bringing onto our platform. And I think we have two or three meals with folks we're trying to acquire. So very active. I would say, let's see here, if we do 3 billion in five years, perhaps a billion Maybe 33% would be international. And so that means, David, you're going to be very busy aren't you, on the international side. Is it sort of you know, your US and then David and his team and Richard are the rest of the world, effectively? Is that right? Effectively. But I think you know, initially, we sort of tend to be concentrating more on Europe. Yeah. Here and in Europe. And I think that you know, we've spent three years since we became part of K2, really rebuilding the infrastructure of the company post-Pioneer, installing a new underwriting system, new data warehouse, and putting everything ready so we can just plug in teams as and when the opportunities arise. So it's all very exciting. And you haven't really been on a massive growth trajectory, have you? You've been more, it's been more of a sort of, let's say, tidying up rather than growth has been the focus. And now, presumably, so you're saying growth is definitely on top of the agenda now. Yeah, definitely. And I think we were somewhat stymied by COVID as well. So, you know, it was difficult to grow initially. And certainly, you know, we're promoting the brand and we've got a good business and we think it's a compelling opportunity for any specialist underwriters who want to come our way. It's interesting, talking about this growth with this M&A opportunity, certainly when I spoke to you last, this hybrid insurer, whatever you want to call it, MGA incubator world, was a peak of an absolute boom, I would say, 18 months ago, two years ago. Do you think it's peaked now? And do you think if it is peaking, is that probably a good thing for a player that has got to the scale that might be able to pick off parts that haven't got to scale? So... I guess a little more definition on hybrid. So when I'm thinking of hybrid, I'm thinking about what Fidelis has just done. Uh, I think Transverse is trying to do it with something called Launch. I think Ambac's done it with their carrier. If that's what we're talking about, I don't think that's mature. I think it's a new plan. And we had our own carrier A-rated. Yeah. So we were doing this 10 years ago. I don't think it's a new plan, but more and more people are trying to do that. If that's what we're talking about, I think it's still developing. I don't think it's mature. Still developing. And I still think it's a lot harder than carriers think it is to bifurcate and be a really good MGA. So I think they'll try. I think some will fail. And I think there'll be fallout. So that will be an opportunity for us. We no longer have a balance sheet. We learned it's probably better to be great at one or the other, not to be good at both. That's really interesting because obviously there's still plenty of people in your shoes who are very desirous of getting a balance sheet or a syndicate in a box at Lloyd's or some form, or even if it's just a reinsurance captive or something. And you decided that that sheet is fractured. It was very important to us early on. It really helped us incubate because we had A-rated paper to provide to expert underwriters. Today, we trade with over 50 A-rated carriers and, and have great relationships. They're all hungry for more business. So it's not as important for us and, and really takes a lot of time in a regulated environment to run a company. 
we're not insurance company people, we're MGA people, distribution. So for us, it was a distraction and we spent too much time That's on interesting. it. That's interesting. So, But it's a good part of the playbook to get you up to the billion. Yeah, absolutely. You'll Very get- crucial to get us where we are today. Right. Not so crucial anymore. So now you can leverage scale because you've got scale and you can scale you can and great results. Great results. Not so much numbers or scale, but great underwriting results what we try to leverage. But you could say if you've got a relationship with a carrier out who's providing paper to you across many different MGAs that you've got, then presumably you do have a bit of leverage if one of them's having a bad year. You can say, look, look at us as a K2 relationship and you can come and talk to a bit like a way that a broker would. Absolutely. We look at it as a long-term partnership. I would think it's easier to pick up the phone and say, look, we give you all this great business. Help me here. It's not as easy as I say. It's harder done than said. But uh, yeah, we hope to continue. Well, at to least do that. you can have that higher level conversation with someone who is the boss of that person without annoying all those people. Uh, CEO level, you know, CEO level with a, a cell phone number. So usually we can get to the right person. Everybody is re entering their book, everybody's decadding their book. So they all want something non property, which fortunately we have a lot of, but trying to leverage some property with that in a package. You talk about new opportunities and are they more scarce because of all the roll up activity? So it's two things the hybrid, but there's also the roll up. So there's been a lot of people who do what K2 does have a platform, a back room, and rolling up smaller MGAs. I think when we started K2, there were a thousand MGAs, at least 600 have been sold. Today, there are a thousand MGAs. So there will always be new MJs, new opportunities developing. I'd say in the last two years, we kind of shifted away from the mature MGA acquisition target to an emerging. So MJs that had started in the last three years, 36 months, we're still hitting their budgets, yet fairly small, but big projections in year four or five. So it might look like we overpay on a less credible business. But we do a lot of due diligence and, and really excited about those emerging MGAs that maybe people aren't excited about because they don't have the track record. So we focus on that. We've got a lot so of good you can pay higher multiples. Because yeah, we pay higher multiple. We really believe in their budget and their projections that they'll get there. And we're good at what we do so we can read through phony business plans and know what key indicators are. We've started 14 MGAs. We know what it takes and, and how look- they track. And the last sort of question on that macro environment, that presumably yeah. now we're in a fairly normalized interest rate environment, it just doesn't feel normal because it's been so abnormal for so long preceding that. But does that mean someone who's well capitalized, who's in there, is it better that you're not competing against all these highly leveraged people anymore? Or maybe you are, I don't know. Does it mean you're not under so much pressure on the price of potential acquisitions? Yeah, I think obviously interest rates have an impact on private equity financial models. They have to leverage more at a higher cost. And so multiples... And I don't care who you talk to, you know, some of the investment bankers, advisors trying to get your assignment will tell you multiples are 18, 19 increasing. They're not. Multiples are decreasing, no doubt. It's impossible with the interest rate levels where they are. So we think multiples will go down, which will make us more attractive or more aggressive in the market. Number one. Number two, I think there are a lot of platform companies, longer tail lines of business that grew really quick. That in this business, that's one way, generally, it's price, inadequate price. And so I have a prediction that we'll see terminations of carriers as the losses come in. We'll see devaluation of MGAs and more desperate MGAs. And I think K2 is in such a perfect situation to pick those up or offer help when people are going to have trouble. If you ever have time to read the AM Best Impairment Study that comes out every now and again, you don't really need to read it because it's actually the same every time it comes out. It just says there's only two ways of going bust. It's growing too fast and not reserving properly while you're doing that. <laughs> yeah. And the MJs don't seem to care about the 
reserving. It's <laughs> Slowly just a, a than quick quickly. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. absolutely, absolutely. Sorry to interrupt in mid-flow, but this is just a reminder that you could be advertising right here, right now, and getting your message directly into the ear of key decision makers in the insurance industry. And you'll be doing it while they're absolutely in listening mode. The Voice of Insurance has just run through 300,000 downloads. If each of those had had a 60-second ad in them, that would make 83 hours of talking to the industry for a fraction of the cost of alternative media. The podcast is the medium of the future, and so is audio advertising. Contact me on mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com, and I'll do everything I can to get you started. So you think it's going to be a favorable environment, but it doesn't sound like you're the sort of people who are chiseling on the price. If you really believe in that model, you're just excited about getting them on board because it won't matter because if they're five or six times bigger in five years' time, then it won't matter. I'd say our last private equity partner acquisitions were somewhat tough just because we didn't have a big pot of capital to go buy things. I think with Warburg, we do. I think they're extremely patient, whether it be five, seven-year hold period. And so, as I mentioned, I think the next two years will be difficult for the whole MJ environment, especially given reinsurance, talking about lower seating commissions, which squeezes us. Generally, we're the compression point. The front fee stays the same. Retail wholesale commission stays the same. So we make those decisions to survive on thinner margins for now as we demonstrate great underwriting result and we can grow the book of business. And so anyway, with Warburg, we have excess capital. They've showed us that anything we buy at a lower multiple than they paid is beneficial. So we can average or bring down our entry point over a four-year period. And then I think insurance is cyclical. So in four or five years, we'll be back to a high multiple environment. So we're going to a mass scale now and we've done some of that. We're going to shape like a bodybuilder and become more lean now and just build the business better for a five-year, hopefully very positive. And what outcome. could happen after that five to seven-year whole period? That's a great question. I don't know what's happening next year. If you're a $3 billion business at that point, then well, maybe- would be $150 million of EBITDA. Could you be public then? Could that be your we next partnership? Could. My worry with that in the MGA space, uh, we're only as good as our agency agreements. And, and most of those agency agreements are 180-day termination. And so even if- It's a it, very big prospectus. That's a scary bit at the bottom of the prospectus. <laughs> all the things that could go wrong. The biggest one is that termination, right? Yeah. And so in a public environment, if we lost a program that had 4 million of EBITDA, I think there'd be a heavy overreaction by the market and it'd be hard to manage the business in a public environment. So I don't know if that's the outcome for us. Most likely it'd be a strategic buyer or a collection of private equity firms. It would be very large for one firm. And so envious of an Amwins who, you know, say they have a permanent capital structure and people come in and out at any moment. So I think that's probably a more realistic outcome for us, but time will tell. Well, we've talked a lot about macro stuff, Bob, obviously having you here, but it's important that we do. Bob, you've mentioned before about CAT, this interesting trade-off that's going on. I had a good discussion at Monte Carlo with an underwriter who said, look, what I'm really looking forward to at this renewal is look, I've got some cat capacity. I'm one of the only people who's still keeping it about the same. And I'm going to use that as a massive lever to get on all this stuff that I've wanted to on the casualty side of things that no one has even let me have a look in on. And I'm going to use that and say, if you want the cat, I want to be on this other stuff. How's it going on the cat side? Obviously, David, you're the absolute expert on this. It's been a hell of a reset in the reinsurance world. And obviously, some of my colleagues in the press had discussions about what, you know, parts of paper that were backing you on your cap mm -hmm. book. And obviously, that's perfectly understandable given there's so many stories of reinsurers trimming their cat appetite completely or, or in fact, pulling it out completely. What's the mood in the camp right at the moment? And 
how easy is it going to be to replace some of the capacity that had vacated the market? Sure. Well, I mean, it's tough. But since Christmas, it's slightly more positive. I mean, I think there's a lot of fear in the investor community and probably quite rightly. I mean, if you look at the US, which is the largest property cap market in the world, you've had something like 35% of all losses in the last 30 years have been in the last five. So results have not been good. And you know, capital has walked as a result. So from our point of view at K2CAT as an MGA, we're always looking for new capacity. And I think we've been successful in replacing some of the capacity that we lost last year. And that's from traditional sources, so writing off companies' balance sheets. But we're also talking to PE firms and asset managers. You know, reinsurers the last five years have promised to do a lot and have delivered very little relatively. And I think now you've got a collective backbone in the market. You've actually got a lot of resolve. Market conditions are the best they have been since 1993. I mean, I'm old enough to remember underwriting in Lloyd's at that time. And I'm so it's better than 2006? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think so. And, you know, I thought that I would never see a market post-Andrew like that one. And of course, I was wrong because this is pretty tough and retentions are going up, coverage is more restricted, and prices have gone through the roof, literally. So I think from a, a seller's point of view, it's a compelling opportunity. You know, and our job as an MGA is to convince people to give us their capital to put it to good use. You know, and so that you can do it better than they can. Well, yeah, or they don't do it at all. You know, or they don't have the distribution to be able to access underwriting expertise. And what's the feeling on that investor appetite? Obviously, we're just coming through the annual results season, and it's been pretty damn good. When you think we had Hurricane Ian, normally that would have put everyone over hundred. You'd say that guaranteed. Certainly four years ago, that would have happened. But this year, you know, people coming in with the low 90s, mid 90s, whatever, very respectable, decent ROEs with a hurricane, Ian. And since then, they've put the price up. So surely investors are paying attention to that, aren't they? Or thinking, well, I think it's just an accumulation good, of bad news. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's been constantly bad news for the last sort of five or six years. And, you know, the market's reacted to that. And it's certainly a realignment of pricing. And it has gone up. I mean, you know, if, on our US cap book, we're seeing risk adjusted rate increases are probably. 60 to 70 percent, which means in reality the companies are paying 100 percent more premium. Yeah. You know, once you factored in inflation and structural change and everything. So it's a huge difference. So any new capacity you can get, you can put, easily put it to use. Yeah. I mean, deploying capacity is not an issue. It's just finding the capacity. And that's my job every day. You know, we're looking for that and we're having some good conversations now and, and certainly more positive conversations in the last month than in the previous sort of three or four months. And going to the dynamic of you're mostly in insurance rather than reinsurance as a group, this reinsurance tail wagging the dog, obviously a lot of insurance has done a good job of hardening itself without any additional impetus from reinsurance. Now we've had this additional impetus from reinsurance. We've certainly seen a second wind on the property insurance market, realizing that my reinsurance costs are doubling or whatever they are. And I'm going to have to factor that back in, even though I'd already been hardening it myself for the previous preceding three or four years. How's that affecting the dynamics of the markets in which you're operating? Are you feeling, right, we need to get more rate because we know the reinsurance end of this, or even if it's my own paper providers, it's their insurers that we know that there's extra pressure coming through the chain. Is it reaching you? Certainly. We don't have that many program-specific reinsurance covers yeah. where we're really tied to our result in those increases in reinsurance costs. However, a lot of our partners have corporate cat covers. They've all got reinsurance, They're right? all paying more money. I'm sure that will lead to a reduction commission requests to us, which we will try to share. We're obviously, rate increases are happening every day. We have a team of five people doing rate filings, and I don't know if we have 70 of them active right now. So we're trying to catch up. Reinsurance is unregulated. They can do whatever they want. We're in an admitted environment. We have to get approval to raise our rates, and it will never be as much as the reinsurance increases. 
So the carriers are squeezed, that will probably get squeezed. That means maybe the retail and wholesale will get squeezed. While they don't like that, I mean, they're getting a lot more rate, their net revenue should be the same, or if not growing. But again, commissions have been a holy grail for the retail and wholesale. But I think at some point, when all your partners are losing money, you might have to rethink how. Uh, it's quite good having a squeeze that isn't actually painful. So that's a good kind of squeeze, isn't it? Well, we're here. I'd rather be squeezed than not here. And so you talk about CAC capacity. While on David's side, the reinsurance is so hard to find new participants, especially when the spread of investment income and CAT returns, there wasn't much variance. However, I think the 1-1 rate increases were much higher than people expected. And so typical insurance capacity will come in as people start reporting great figures, whether it be a year or two years, it will come back. People have short memories. Unfortunately, we'd rather use it now while the rates are so good, even to the point that we would take a partner for a year, just an opportunistic play to put to work our four cab models, our five underwriters. We've got a team. Other people are out trying to start something. We have it. We just need a balance sheet. You've got the distribution. That's on the reinsurance side. On the primary side, we write 160, 170 million of commercial property in the United States, a lot of California earthquake, DIC. I think we have three new carriers doing filings right now. So we're not having a hard time finding CAT capacity just on the reinsurance arm, which is so front and center. But on our traditional, we're recycling. Other MJs are being terminated. We're getting their capacity. More so just because on our model results, our premium PML ratios are lower, which means the carrier has to buy less reinsurance to protect themselves, which means they have higher margins. So they're looking at our fabulous results and taking away from others and giving us capacity. So we're doing quite well in, in property cat, just not in the reinsurance side. It's just so difficult. Right. Any time like this is a time when those who are differentiating themselves and doing better than others get dislocation is where K2 and all great MGs thrive. And I wish carriers had the same philosophy. What on the flip side, when markets change like this, it's kind of annoying that they change in such revolutionary ways. They're not incremental change. It tends to be the big hammer comes down after a lot of pressure. Finally, the dam breaks. And it seems to happen, particularly in reinsurance. But then that opens up lots of opportunities. Has it opened up any opportunities for you? You're in this nimble MGA space with lots of interesting teams of underwriters spotting gaps in the market. Presumably, at times like this, more gaps open up in the market and more demand. There's all sorts of demand in all sorts of places. Does that mean that that bodes well for you as a business to say, well, there's yeah. more new, new ideas out there to back? Yeah, I think, I think so. we have a new parametric program. We hired a, an individual, uh, Scott Carpentary from Swiss Re after 20 years. And so you're seeing a shift in buying patterns. You know, if the traditional coverage isn't there, they might look at a parametric. So we expect that to really take off. I think uh, certain markets shutting down leads to a great talent on the street. So I think there's opportunity for us to bolster our staff and then also all other lines. So like everybody, we're trying to diversify. We haven't been heavy in professional lines. And so we're looking at architect engineers, environmental, refs and warranty. And we have teams identified and we're trying to hire those folks. So and then we'll have a much more diverse platform that we can offer to carriers to hopefully, as you said, leverage to get some CAC capacity. But so we're just trying to grow in other areas that we're not. And, and the irony is, Mark, that in our field, that if you have a couple of years of benign activity in the US, suddenly the phone starts ringing and they hear, you know, this US CAT gig, it's pretty good. Can we join in? Which is great. And, and we're very happy to take those calls. But we would rather they were now because now is really the time to grasp the nettle. It is bizarre that people haven't kind of worked this out, that you have to be greedy when other people are fearful and all that stuff. I thought everyone knew that. Yeah, Mr. <laughs> Buffett's advice should be heeded. 
I think the big point of his advice is it's actually really hard to follow because we're all human, I suppose. And yeah. no one wants to throw good money after bad. Or to be the first. Yeah. But they'll plunge in together, yeah. I'd say. <laughs> Once you get one, you get more. I mean, it really is a snowball effect. So, so you're ready for that. You're ready oh, yeah. for that, uh, for the phone ringing off the hook in, in about two years' time when you post these fantastic returns and you say, well, I can't actually deploy all this. That's too late. Hopefully sooner. Hopefully right? sooner. Yeah, otherwise <laughs> Bob will get cross with me. Yeah, and I think also you have to be innovative. And I know people throw that word around a lot when they don't really mean it. But for example, we now have a couple of facilities which are fronted in the US, and they're not fronted because the security behind them is in some way not good. It's just that those particular reinsurers don't want to have to go through all the regulatory year-end funding, LOCs, and that sort of thing. So you know, we, we're forging new relationships and sort of building onto that platform so that when carriers come in and offer new underwriting capital, we'll be able to take maximum advantage. Obviously, as you get bigger and bigger, How's the technology play, you know, that core analysis of everything you're doing? You've had time now, since we last spoke, to build yeah. that out even more. I presume it's quite substantial, the tech investment side of things. Yeah, from a tech investment or an expense standpoint, acquisition costs are commissioned to our retail and wholesales, our number one expense. Payroll's number two, and IT's number three. So when we formed, coming from a reinsurance broker, when we formed K2, did I ever think it'd be our third largest expense item? No. But it's necessary. The more efficient we are, the more control we have of our data. We can share with our carriers, with our distributors, to use that to get more, show them where we're lacking, where we're succeeding. And then just from a, a risk management standpoint on the analytics of loss ratios, contingent commissions, we're much more sophisticated on all the data. We spent 4 or $5 million in the last two years on just data in a data center. And how do we use Tableau to represent that to our carriers and to our distributors we're right now going through an exercise customizing underwriting reports on a monthly basis for our carriers. How do they want to look at our business? We have it. All of it's somewhere in a black box. Just how do we produce a customized report so they can see trends and their reporting to their higher-ups easier? So I think just being a much more sophisticated MGA, there, there will be a flight to quality. There always is a flight to quality. And so we're just improving on being the best from reporting. Number two, from an efficiency standpoint, if a carrier gives us 10-point override, and we find a way to carve out two points through efficiency in the system, low touch or no touch underwriting, we keep that. We don't mm. have to share that. And I think using AI and some other stuff to be just be better, but your, better but underwriters. Your, but to your point, Bob, in London and, and Cato International, I think we're very proud of the fact that we're regularly praised by our carriers for having some of the best information around. And I think that David Watson and his operations team here have rebuilt the data warehouse, and we're using that and other analytics to great effect. These days, are we very close to a point where any paper provider to an MJ should be almost in real time able to see exactly what's going on, where you are, what you're on, what you're not on? We definitely have data feeds. I believe most are real time. I'm not the right guy to ask, but it should be available. And we have an insure tech play, which is really real time. It's uh, related to loss runs. And so the loss run process probably took seven days historically. We've skinnied that down to two days through the use of technology. And now if we can actually build APIs to the 400 commercial carriers we're partnered with to get the loss run on an automated basis, we cut it to two seconds. To two seconds, it pings their box, it goes back. And so we're working with a couple large commercial carriers on a beta case that's called Loss Run Pro. And so anyway, the world's all about data and the internet and Real time. And is that a business you'd always keep in house, or you end up growing that and perhaps passing it on as a third party? It would probably be one of the few that we would, would spin, out. spin out just because valuations for technology companies are quite different. And I think their user group, we sell licenses to brokers today. I think that's doubling every year. 
And so, you know, one or two more years of doubling to 10,000 users, somebody will want to buy that probably at a much quicker time frame than we want to do something with K2. One thing I didn't put on my list of questions when we were preparing for this interview was ESG. I'm sure you're talking about it and thinking about it all the time. It seems to be that there's another announcement. I mean, there was a cap bond yesterday that had an ESG element in it that bought carbon credits as part of the indemnity or something. Anyway, I actually haven't read all of it. I didn't necessarily understand all of it myself. I presume there are loads of opportunities being thrown up here. Uh, I'd say obviously very important to us, but usually it's probably driven by the balance sheet partners, especially the public companies. We should do the right thing all the time. But if a carrier has an idea, we haven't been out for money. There's too much low-hanging fruit traditional so insuring ESG us. is a big deal, you know, yeah, the insurance elements. Well, we it. don't have that if we find an expert underwriter. I should mention a little bit more hunting. So with Warburg, they saw some deficiencies in our staff. Hey, you guys need an M&A person. You need a chief capacity officer. You need a chief underwriting officer. So we're out doing searches for these folks. Uh, we did hire somebody. We combined our M&A and our capacity officer. We call chief growth officer. We hired somebody from Tiger Risk recently. Really excited to have Chris Wojcikowski on board. Yeah. A great guy. Already in a month, I'd say he's made impact. But really working on a few things. Number one, we have never hunted in sectors that we're not. And let's use cyber. Let's use cannabis. You know, let's use environmental. So we're looking at those spaces. We're identifying the best four or five underwriters in that segment. And then we're out recruiting. So we're hunting segments we're not. I know you talk about, do we run out of growth opportunities that don't conflict with what we already do? Yeah. We promoted all 24 of our MGAs to be mini K2s, to go find acquisition targets. And we won't set up a competitor, but we'll allow them or fund them to buy tuck-ins so they can grow through acquisition as well. So even though we're already in a space, it certainly does not preclude us from finding another MGA in the exact space or similar space. On that geographical question, is it US and London? And then do you think you might add another, I presume you're very conscious about the expense of adding platforms and offices and and all that stuff, because obviously that is a big graveyard full of people who've planted flags all over the world. And, you know, we know that that doesn't necessarily work, but are you not adverse to building that truly global? No, I think Europe's a good opportunity, I think, at the moment. Yeah, on Europe, you asked about London and US. We did not call this K2 UK. It's called K2 International. So we have a platform for international in Europe. You'd say Asia, not yet, though. No, I'd say Asia, Australia, you know, number one, the time difference is horrific. To coordinate, we don't know much about those spaces. We'll do control growth. Europe's always been our plan. And I think we have three or four opportunities we're looking at trying to get to an LOI state. So that would be our platform. US, we look at Canada. We've looked at three or four opportunities in Canada. It's close. It makes sense. It's Again, it's not Australia. Nothing against that, and we'll probably get there someday, but we're trying to grow from our two centralized hubs in contiguous countries. Also, I read something recently where that was you, David, I think, talking about distribution. Obviously, when I think of you now, I think of being a pure underwriting business. You want to pick the best underwriters and get good paper behind them and back them. But you were talking more in a wider distribution sense, and what were you alluding to when you spoke about that? We've been a retailer before. We're not good at it. So we've promised not to be in the retail space. Wholesale space, uh, we are a wholesale a little bit on uh, nursing home work comp. I think last time I saw a stat, we quote 30% of the applications come in the door, 70% fall on the floor with no revenue. So could we wholesale those out and offer a solution to our 33,000 agents at a lower commission? Sure. Wouldn't they rather have a solution than nothing? And so hopefully K2 can be a solution provider. 
you look at reinsurance brokering. I think we have four or five ex-reinsurance brokers on staff. Why couldn't we be a reinsurance broker? If you look at the Tiger and the Howden, everybody, the lines have blurred. I am it's RT, RMGAs. They have three billion dollar MGAs. The lines are blurred. So we are distributors of insurance products. If you've got a great product that's obviously we have a great marketing machine that's bringing in hundreds yeah. and hundreds hmm. of thousands of applications, why aren't we converting those to revenue? So there's a big example of what we would get in the future. Number two, our new partnership with Warburg. You know, just case in point, they own a company called Fetch. Fetch is a second or third largest pet product in America, a pet insurer. We're working with them right now to sell their product to our 33,000 agents. It would take them forever to build the distribution we built or acquired. And so why don't we do that and get a couple points spiff? So just trying to help our sister companies. And I was with Steve McGill today talking about how do we help their business. And so I think there's a lot of cross-sell opportunities. We do write for Fortegra. It's owned by Warburg. Arch, I think, does reinsure us. And so there's just so many foundation, large retailer. We have to meet them and figure out how do we turn on all our great products to your great distribution. The lines are blurry. And we're but it just- sounds like something that needs to be very efficient distribution, sort of, you know, something that perhaps is more an IT solution than an actual too many hands touching it. Agents come to us for a solution. And so we just want to be able to offer them something, albeit the commission might be a little lower. Harnessing our expertise in whatever form that takes. That sounds really, really interesting. Have we spoken about everything? I don't know. Have you got anything to add before we sign off? We will look different in 18 months. We look different <laughs> so well, yes. from 18 months ago. We're going to look different in 18 months. And I don't know what the future holds, but I, I feel it will be very positive and exciting for our teammates. Because in general, you'd say the market's pretty good. It's great. And I think, yeah, we've got the infrastructure to grow profitably for our carriers. It's just now bolting on some new teams and some specialist underwriters, both here and in the States and in Europe. I remember the last time I saw you, you said you were on the hunt on the hunt for new acquisitions, and you still are. And so come and talk to you both and everybody else with the K2 badge on. We weren't as much in the hunt as we are today. I would just say this, if we're going to get to $3 billion, our growth's coming from three areas. It's going to be organic growth. So we get rate increases and more policies, 25%. It's going to be 25% team liftouts, new acquisitions of teams, probably 50% through acquisition. And that's how we'll get to a billion and a half of growth in the next four years. So very busy. And again, our pipelines have been better. We're very appreciative of the time with you, Mark. And Yeah, and I, I would say that in a couple of years' time, if we have another interview and we're still in this office, we haven't done our job properly. So <laughs> I think, you know. I like this office. I think it says a lot about you. It's fairly frugal, which is good. Well, we'll try and recreate it, you know, on a bigger platform, you know. You don't have baristas and all that kind of nonsense. We all sit outside. We're, we're, <laughs> all, we're all equals. Excellent. Thank you so much. Well, yeah, but next time you need to have football and you know a sort of spa or something but for all the, for the brokers who knows Perfect. but thank you for your time mark anyway it's great it sounds like your time is more valuable than mine at the moment so use it wisely and thank you so much for coming on the show yeah thank you very much mark thanks have mark. a great day well i hope you enjoyed today's episode if you did don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this program these really help get the word out before we go just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. 
The Voice of Insurance podcast is produced in association with Advantage Go, enabling enterprise-scale underwriting through a single pane of glass. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. Thank you.